Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Today's episode is sponsored by Beam. Get ready for the ultimate cozy winter night in brought to you by Beam. Beam is a functional wellness brand that makes CBD products to help you pursue your better and push the boundaries of what's possible. For a limited time only, Beam's best-selling sleep product, Dream Powder Hot Cocoa, now comes in delicious white chocolate peppermint. Swirls of peppermint mixed in with creamy white chocolate for a guilt-free hot cocoa of your holiday dreams. It's the perfect winter wind down for those cold, snowy nights. It's triple lab tested and contains the ultimate sleep promoting ingredients, nano CBD, reishi, magnesium, L-theanine, and melatonin, plus no added sugar or artificial sweeteners. Curl up with a cup of white chocolate peppermint dream right before bedtime and you will get your best sleep ever. I have struggled with sleep for a very long time and let me tell you that Beam's dream powder has helped me relax my busy mind and let me get some of the best night's sleep I have had in a very long time. White chocolate peppermint dream powder only lasts for a limited time, so get it while it's hot. Great news. If you subscribe now, you can also take advantage of Beam's best sale of the year for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. You'll get 40% off the first three months of a Peppermint Dream subscription, plus a free mug and frother, or 20% off a one-time purchase. Again, this is Beam's biggest offer of the year, and just like its new flavor, it won't last long. Head over to beamorganics.com slash mcom. That's B-E-A-M organics.com slash M-C-O-M for 40% off the first three months of a Peppermint Dream subscription plus free mug and frother or 20% off the one-time purchase. Pause or cancel anytime. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. The scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder... As a parent, you want to make sure that wherever you plan to lay down roots, it's a place where your children can grow up safely. 
On November 18, 1987, a man who was trying to move his family away from a dangerous city found himself at the wrong end of a gun. A gun held by a murderer who, to this day, in the eyes of many, was never caught. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. In the year 1986, Keith and Elaine Dardine who both went by their middle names, had recently moved to Ina, Illinois for Keith's job as a plant operator at the Rend Lake Water Conservancy District and were renting a plot of land from a farming couple who allowed them and their two-year-old son, Peter, to set up a trailer to live in. Things seemed to be going well for the pair, with Keith excelling at his new job and Elaine finding work at a supply store in Mount Vernon all while raising Peter and, in their off time, playing music with an ensemble at the local Baptist church, Keith singing lead vocals and Elaine accompanying him on the piano. The following year, Elaine found out she was pregnant with the couple's second child and, because of their growing family, had placed their mobile home on sale so they could move into something a little more spacious and a little more safe. According to Keith's mother, Joanne, the couple were talking about moving back to Mount Carmel, where Keith grew up, because they deeply regretted moving to the increasingly violent area of Ina. Over the course of the past two years, there had been 15 homicides in Jefferson County, and though most had been captured and charged for their crimes, the citizens of Ina were starting to feel the weight of their growing stress. So much so that Keith, after a 10-year-old girl in the area was raped and murdered, declared that they were going to make the move regardless of whether or not he found a job back at Mount Carmel. He just wanted to protect his family, and in his opinion, getting out was the only way to achieve that. Unfortunately, that move did not come quick enough. On November 18, 1987, Keith, a very reliable employee, failed to report for his shift and did not call with an excuse. So his supervisor started making calls to Keith's home. Calls that all went unanswered. The next call was placed to Keith's divorced parents. And when they both agreed that it was odd that they had not heard from their son, Don Dardine, Keith's father, called over to the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office and agreed to drive down to Ina with a house key so they could search the premises. When he did, and when police entered the mobile home, they found the bodies of Elaine, Peter and the unborn baby girl all tucked into the same bed. 30-year-old Elaine was bound and gagged with duct tape and both she and Peter had been beaten to death with a baseball bat Peter was given as a birthday gift earlier in the year. Elaine had, from the looks of the scene, been beaten so severely that she had gone into labor. The baby, like the mother and brother she was never able to meet, was also beaten with the bat. All three bodies were neatly tucked into the bed and the room where they were brutally beaten was cleaned up and cared for. While the scene made even the most seasoned officers recoil, they noticed pretty quickly that both Keith and his 1981 Plymouth were missing from the home. Assuming he may be the one responsible for his family's murder, the police treated him as a suspect at large and assembled a team of armed police to go looking for him. The search ended the following day when a group of hunters found his body in a wheat field not far from his home. The 29-year-old had been shot three times and his penis severed from his body. His car, which was found about 11 miles away, was littered with bloodstains. From what forensics could determine, Keith died within an hour of his family, which was about 12 hours before they were found. When news started to spread about the murders, a city already on the edge descended into complete and utter fear. 
arming themselves with shotguns just to run daily errands, accompanying their children wherever they went, and locking every single door and window as tight as possible. Because their home was located along Route 37, a very busy state highway, police knew their suspect list would be a long one. And because everyone living in the area was looking over their shoulder at all times, calls came in and were almost always ruled out as a rumor or contradictory to their evidence. This wasn't helped by the fact that, upon a deeper examination, the two counties' respective coroners differed on whether Keith's cause of death was a head injury or a gunshot wound. This and the odd details about Elaine's birth, whether it was prior to her death or post-mortem, and Keith's mutilation bore speculation that the murder was not that of a random break-in, but instead the act of Satanist or of a regional serial killer some had theorized was active in the area. The Satanist theory was quickly ruled out by an expert who said that mutilation, when occurring for a ritual, is usually much more extensive not usually the simple removal of just one appendage. Everyone in the area was freaked out, so much so that the Jefferson County coroner, who was also a family physician, reported many of his clients were losing sleep to the point of rapid weight loss over the stress of the Dardine family massacre. As the hysteria continued, the local police joined forces with the Illinois State Police to investigate the murders, bringing in a total of 30 detectives to work full-time on the case. Together, they interviewed about 100 different people about the murders, none of which panned out into anything meaningful. A man was later taken into custody only to be released and cleared of any involvement, as was a co-worker of Keith's with whom he was having a dispute. Everyone seemed to love the Dardine family, and no one who knew them had anything really bad to say about them. There was a bit of marijuana found in their home, but not nearly enough to indicate drug dealing. And after speaking with friends and family and a clean autopsy, police began to believe that the drugs were possibly dropped and left behind by the killer or killers. Absolutely nothing was panning out. And before long, this case started to hit almost every single dead end possible, with all of the normals like robbery being ruled out by the simple fact that there was no sign of forced entry and all of their items seemed to be intact. With no motive, no affairs on either side, an MO that defied the typical, and very little evidence, police started to wonder if the Dardine case would ever be solved. Police knew their family was targeted, but had absolutely no clue why, so they started to work under the theory the murder may have been a product of a mistaken identity. But in the end, all of the theories were exactly that. A theory. With nothing rooted in actual evidence, the case became frozen solid where, to this day, it remains. Joanne Dardine worked for many years to keep the public interested in her son's murder. And throughout the 1990s, she regularly called over to the detectives to see if there was any new information about the case. She gathered 3,000 signatures on a petition to The Oprah Winfrey Show, asking to do a segment, but was later turned down by producers who said the crime was too brutal for daytime TV. America's Most Wanted responded similarly, but eventually changed their minds and ran the story in 1998. No new leads were ever generated. Over the years, a number of suspects have crossed the desks of the Jefferson County investigators. The first was Angel Maturino Resendez, whom we covered on June 17, 2019. He was a serial killer who traveled by freight chain and chose victims living near the tracks. 
While the Dardines lined up with his MO, the authorities were never able to connect him to the crimes. There was also Tommy Lynn Sells, who we covered on December 31st, 2020, who cut the throats of two girls in Texas and, while awaiting the trial for their attack and murder, confessed to a number of deaths all around the U.S. One of those confessions was to the murder of the Dardine family. Tommy claimed that he could not remember the details of most of his murders, but did remember the Dardine family massacre. At the time of the murder, he was living just about 90 miles away from Jefferson County and making money traveling with carnivals and fairs, working as a day laborer, and general petty theft. Traveling here and there via hitchhiking and the trains, Tommy became familiar with the area of Ina and, on one trip, met Keith either at a truck stop near Mount Vernon or at a local pool hall. Keith supposedly invited Tommy over for some dinner, and after the meal, propositioned the stranger for a threesome, triggering the dangerous man. He forced Keith at gunpoint to drive where his body was eventually found, killed and mutilated him, and then went back to handle Elaine and Peter. He later said, I was just so pissed off that I took it to the maximum limit. Rage don't have a stop button. This story, however, had a few different versions. And in the third, Tommy claimed he picked the Dardines home because it was the first one he saw after hopping off the freight train in Ina and with the for sale sign, saw an opportunity that he couldn't pass up. In this version, he raped Elaine before killing her, something that the evidence did not corroborate. He was never charged with the murders, though he remains a main suspect. He was executed in 2014 by the state of Texas. Though most are happy to name Tommy as the killer, citing the fact that he knew details that were kept confidential, many aren't so certain, especially considering his reputation for false or over-exaggerated confessions. He got things like Elaine's body position and which seat in the Plymouth Keith was shot in wrong, amongst other details, and because of this, his execution, and complete lack of evidence connecting him to the crime, the case remains unsolved. According to Keith's friends and family, he would have never invited a stranger from out of town into their home. In fact, shortly before their murder, a young girl came to his door and asked to use the phone. Worried about the dangerous state of Ina at the time, he refused. They also claim that Keith would have never made sexual advances towards the 22-year-old man, claiming he was a heterosexual who was happy with his own marriage. Joanne Dardine, who initially claimed she was 100% certain Tommy was the man who killed her son and his family, would later say that, with time, she has become less sure. She said things aren't adding up, and while many are ready to define the case as solved, she isn't ready to make that decision. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on November 19th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. <laughs>